0: What's up world? I got a question for you. What is it that makes coffee so damn good? Maybe it's that caffeine and dopamine hit you get after pounding a pot or two, or perhaps it's that feeling of connection that you get when you sit down with another person to work on yourselves in the process of recovery. Maybe it's the fact that you take something so bitter and turn it into something so delicious. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee, and why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwashed Coffee the perfect partner for the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwashed Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwashed Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is Ego Ain't Your Amigo. A nice blend of Ethiopian and Guatemalan bean with a hint of citrus, dried fruit, and caramel flavor makes it a delicious blend for any time of day. Right now, you can go to brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Brainwashed coffee, clean your bean. We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're
1: just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering.
0: Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through
1: our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey, everybody, what's up? My name is Cameron. And my name is Willie. Welcome to the Other Side of Hell podcast. What's happening, Willie? I'm still an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely an alcoholic. I'm, I'm an alcoholic and a compulsive overeater.
0: Yeah. It, uh, recovering alcoholic, uh, on and off, recovered, <laughs> compulsive overeater. Really?
1: <laughs> you said recovering alcoholic.
0: Recovering alcoholic and and... and when we start talking about the war story, which we got uh, from Kit, you mm-hmm. know, she talks about the difference in, in those two things, and she, you know, she great war story. And yeah,
1: yeah. Kit so. had a great war story. We got a really good topic from it because the one thing that that Kit emphasized in her in her story over and over was that she has to keep recovery first.
0: Yeah, keep this thing first,
1: and uh, and it's it's good for me to hear. You know, like it's it's. It's a good reminder. Does it feel like I always put recovery first? Like, no. I think it's kind of a, a tricky topic. Like, what? What do you think? Well, I, the cool thing
0: is, is I found that like a, a lot of it now is autopilot. Like, it's so it's mm. so natural for me to stay in program. So much, you know. I wanted sobriety so badly. Um, you know, I wanted a different way of life so badly. I was willing to do the work whatever that looked like. And I didn't know the outcome. I didn't know that sobriety was going to look like it does. Like, I didn't know that a life sober was going to look the way that it does. I thought it, I was just not going to drink and probably still feel the same way. Or, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I had a lot of hope that it would be better, and it is. But I remember hearing early on, you know, like, getting sober doesn't mean your life gets better. It gets different. And for mm. me, that different was better. You know, I found a lot of, a lot of self-love But, um, you know, by practicing those things consistently with my sponsor early on put me in a position where they became habitual, their their habit now. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the, some of the keeping these things first, you know, like waking up every morning and recommitting to not taking a drink today for the next 24 hours. Like Mm -hmm. that's something that I still do every day. It's, it's, I don't even know what my life would look like without me putting my feet on the ground and being like, hey, I'm not drinking today.
1: Well, and here's the thing that I'm, I'm grateful for is like, (laughs) I really like that you said that. I don't know what my life would look like. And it's like, I don't, I don't really either. But when I think about it, it doesn't look good. Yeah. And like, I'm glad that I have, I'm glad I have something because, you know, I, we were talking a little bit before the show and it's like, I was telling you, like, man, I've kind of been slacking on the RPM. Like, you know, reading, prayer, and meditation is RPM, you know, and it, and it is something that I try and do every morning, you know. And I've been on vacation recently, and so there was just, you know, for whatever reason, like, I, I get a little bit out of the practice, right, of, of, of getting up right away and doing the reading, prayer, and meditation. and And I'll tell you what it looks like. Like, I'll tell you what it looks like when I don't do those things. I don't know what to do like I'm just kind of wandering around the house (laughs) like oh I guess I'll just maybe come over here take my morning pills like eh, i just wander over here like should I start coffee maybe I don't want to start coffee yet am I gonna work out like what's happening you know what I mean like I don't have I don't have a direction so it's like you know having that and, and I think that to me, it sort of speaks to what recovery is in a whole. Like mm-hmm. that's exactly what recovery is. Like I'm sort of just wandering aimlessly, without it, which is why it's so important for me to put it first. Yeah. You find that to be yeah, true. Yeah.
0: Like, like uh, and having having <laughs> having something to look forward to consistently that I know makes my life better. is is huge for me. And it's something that I hold on to. And and it's something that I've carried with, you know, through all this stuff. But, you know, for me, it started with step work, right? And, uh, and, you know, you mentioned prayer. It started with prayer. And I would do those things daily. And then, uh, just like you said, any time that I didn't do it, I would feel off. Yeah. And then, like, I would stub my toe. Mm -hmm. And, like, I would blame it on me, like, not doing a certain thing that day and like it was like karmic debt or whatever yeah, yeah <laughs> like I now i'm that. being punished for not not staying to this but as 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 i've grown what i found is that like this karmic debt thing is real right and so uh like like if i if i went five days or six days without programming like I would I would definitely feel spiritually bankrupt. It'd be like me not talking to you for, like, five days. I'd just feel fucking off, like like a motherfucker. But um, the thing is, is, like, it keeps coming back around because my conscience is so strong in the recovery of my life. Yeah, Like, I put such a high value on um, having, you know, value and having... Or I put such a high value on having quality of life through recovery mm-hmm. that... Um, what doesn't work. I don't keep around for very long. And so like slacking on my program doesn't work. I don't keep that around. Like I don't keep slacking around for very long. Like I get right back into the program. Cause I'm scared to death of what would happen if I don't like relapse. Fuck that dude. Like yeah, I do not yeah. want to go back to what I used to be and you know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's insanity. Right. But I do the same thing over and over again, expecting the same result. Uh, with in regards to like keeping this thing first. Yeah. Like I, I, I expect if I work on my program and I show up on a daily basis and I do the things that continue to keep me sober, I continue to believe that those things are going to continue to work. And so if it's not broke, I'm not going to try to fix it too much. I will like dabble out in different areas, like add certain things to it, right. take certain things away. Mm-hmm. But the fundamentals seem to stay the same, like suit up, show up, stay honest, work a program, make amends. You know, admit when I'm wrong, help another person, like like doing all those things as, as consistently as possible seems to keep me sort of in in the middle of the road, if you will.
1: Well, and I mean and and that's that's crucial, right? And that's that's important. Like what I've noticed in my own program is like the minute that I start slacking on any of those things and I find myself in sort of a negative tailspin, right? Where it's like, for whatever reason, Well, not for whatever reason, but like I'm starting... Like what usually happens for me is I start believing the thoughts in my head, right?
0: The negative thoughts? The
1: negative thoughts in my head, like that, you know, I'm generally able to keep at bay or at least acknowledge and disregard when I'm working a good program. But like the minute that I slack at all, like I start believing those things <laughs> and I start giving in to some of those things too, you know, like, like ah, like, like you know, what do you mean? Like sleeping well, in, like, like sleeping in, in like isolating, staying up too late, not answering my phone. Like, yeah, exactly. Like these are, these are all things that, you know, like, Oh, this person doesn't need to talk to me. You know, like it's all selfish. It's all yeah. like, you know, like I, I, Rarely am I ever ever thinking like maybe they need to talk to me like maybe I need to ha- maybe I have some information for them you know like and yeah. in, instead it's usually like oh like they'll be fine if I don't answer like
0: yeah well it's usually you know, they're calling, truth to that but
1: they're they're calling to bug me you know like
0: because <laughs> you're believing the bullshit right that's what, like,
1: that's what I mean yeah yeah and like what what I have found is like that disconnection like it blocks me from the sunlight of the spirit and like I think. I think of that because it, you know, it's, it's mentioned in the AA book, right? Um, that these things, you know, like will open us to the sunlight of the spirit. And that's exactly what it makes me think. Like when I'm disconnected, when I'm not working a program, when, when I'm not putting recovery first, it's like all of a sudden I don't feel that I don't feel the joy of life. Mm-hmm. I don't wake up energized. I don't, you know, like every day is mundane. Every day is, you know, like, and if I spend too much time in that space, like, you're absolutely right. It's scary. Mm -hmm. You know, like how long do I have to spend in that space before all of a sudden a drink sounds good. Remember there was a reason why I was drinking, right? It was a solution, you know, at at some point to the mundane reality of the day to day. And so like, I can't, I can't spend too much time in that place. Like luckily, you know, like I'm at a point in my program where it's like, I'm pretty quick to recognize when things feel like they're headed in that direction. It's like, Boom! All right, I gotta I gotta talk to somebody. Yeah, you know, I gotta talk to another alcoholic. I gotta go to a meeting. I gotta you know like do some journaling. I've gotta do some sort of work. Right. Like immediately. Right. To get me out of my head, you know, or help somebody else, or whatever the case is. Because like if I spend too much time there, like I start. Start believing it. We,
0: get, we start getting uncomfortable in our skin again.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Know, and
0: start looking for that solution, you know. And, and I forget. I, I get on this path of successful sobriety, and I get comfortable in my skin, and I forget that I get uncomfortable in my skin. Right. You know? I, I get fucking... The dis-ease will creep in and and start tricking me. And you and I were talking before the show, and you brought up a great point with one of your sponsees, and I think it's I think it's worth mentioning and it's worth pointing out. Like, you know, for me early on, man, fucking going to meetings was was top priority. Like surrounding myself around sober alcoholics and people that knew what this program was about and people that were trying this new way of life was, was top priority in my yeah. life. And yep. and And I'm fortunate enough that I had a support group that saw me so fucked up. Like my family and friends saw me at my ends and they were like, yeah, go to a fucking meeting. You need a meeting, go to a meeting. You know, you just talk to your sponsor, talk to your sponsor. And it's not that case for everybody. Not everybody has that same thing, but I can't emphasize enough how important it is that you make this thing first. Right. And so. In the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a couple chapters that, that deal with that. You know, one of them is to the families, one of them is to the wives. And it talks about allowing your alcoholic to get sober, right? When, when you're on the other side of that and you're dealing with the alcoholic, right? Like our families were dealing with us. I couldn't, I couldn't afford for them to tell me no on my sobriety. Yeah. Right. And, and, if they were telling me no, I don't know that I would have had the the knowledge or the know how to tell them, this is what I need to live,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And so, you know, like how do how do we fucking, how how do you how do you tell like like you were talking about a guy you were working with, and how, it was hard for you to get find time to work with him because, uh, he had other family stuff going on. And it's like, you're not going to have any fucking family at all if you don't get sober, if you don't stay sober. But his family doesn't understand that either, right? Right. And so, like, how do we navigate around, like, people that don't understand how important this is? Because, like I said, I was fortunate that everybody knew how fucking important it was Mm -hmm. that I get sober, because I was gonna fucking die, and most people are gonna fucking die. If they're if they be alcoholic like I be alcoholic, right, they're gonna fucking die if they don't get sober. And and it takes time away from other things that are important. Sobriety, putting this thing first means, you know, sorry Saturday morning I gotta go. Right, you know I got a meeting I gotta to get to. Every Saturday morning to meet with this group of men that are talking about the solution to the problem that our family has, which is me and my alcoholism.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, and that's the biggest thing. And like, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the sponsee, like I, you know, uh, he, he's a listener. So what's up? Um, but he, uh, you know, like it, it, it's difficult because, you know, what do you say to somebody that's like, well, well, I have to spend time with my family, you know, it's like, well, yeah, you do. Like if we can make anything else work, We'll make it work, but if that's the time, that that's the only time that I have that you that you can get together, then what are you willing to do? Are you willing to go to any lengths? Because we have to maintain that willingness in order to maintain a healthy program, in order to maintain a healthy way of life, in order to maintain a healthy attitude when we're dealing with our family members, we can be fully present, we can be fully there. And, and I think that, you know, balance is a tricky thing like w- where does that balance come in well we've we there simply isn't any like <laughs> it's got to be recovery first you know? gotta be and then and then everything else you have is a result of that recovery right you know and and that's that's just my experience you know and and it doesn't look the same way for me as it did when i was you know first coming into the rooms but maybe it should you know what i mean like I don't know. Like sometimes it feels like maybe I should be doing, you know, meetings like I was doing meetings before. Maybe I should be doing, you know, six days a week, you know, meetings and, and talking to people and being plugged in the way that I was before because, you know, like I don't have that same program now. Right. Um, the program has changed. It doesn't mean that, I don't know. I guess I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, like well, my my, my program has changed. I I think what what people
0: need to understand too and what you need to to know like when we first come in sobriety is all we have yeah right and then as you get sober the gifts of sobriety start coming in and uh it starts filling up more of your life right like we used to just wander around aimlessly between meetings yeah <laughs> okay at, at least I did you know I I would wander around and I would think about getting loaded, and staying sober. And I would do that for 23 hours a day or or 22 to 23 hours a day. And then one to two hours a day, I would be in a meeting thinking about the solution, whether I went to one or two meetings a day. And then I would leave that noon meeting, and I'd wander around aimlessly thinking about getting high and staying sober. And then I'd go to another meeting, and I would be thinking about the solution. And then I'd get done with that 8 o'clock meeting. I'd go home, and on my way home, I'd be thinking about staying sober and getting high and then wait till noon like but as as i worked a program and i started adding program into my life and it became habitual then the job came along yeah right yeah and now i no longer have time for a noon meeting because i have an obligation to to supply a seventh tradition to myself (laughs) like i be self-supporting through my own contributions okay and then because I continued to stay sober. I continued to put this thing first. It was a meeting every night for a very long time. And then I was only spending like 17 hours a day thinking about getting high and staying sober because the rest of the time I just wasn't thinking about it anymore. Like I was focused on work or relationships or helping other people or a service position or something like that. And so that span got shorter and then the family began, right? Another, another gift of sobriety. And now, uh, you know, it's still one one meeting a day for a very long time, even with a baby. Like, we had a newborn baby, and it would have been really easy for me to use that as an excuse to not show up for my sobriety. Like, oh, well, I got this family now, yeah. you know? Like, can't go to a meeting tonight. But again, you know, I, I had to put this thing first and keep showing up, man, and keep showing up, put this thing first, uh, Otherwise I won't have any of that stuff. Like I'll have nothing in my life if I don't put this thing first.
1: Yeah. Well, it it reminds me of something I heard, um, in a meeting that, you know, you don't, you don't build AA around your life. You build your life around AA, Mm -hmm. you know, because it, it has to be first, you know, and there's some people I think I, you know, I've, I've talked to people and interacted with people who have, you know, stepped foot in the program You know, big surprise they're not sober today, but they've said things to me like, you know, I don't want AA to be my whole life. Right. And it's like, well, okay. But look at those, look at the people in the program and in the rooms that have made AA their whole life and ask yourself if there's anything about that person that you don't want. Yeah. You know, because when I look at the rooms and I see people like Kit and I see people like yourself or I see people who, who make recovery their their life, who build their life around AA, these are the most spiritual people I've ever met. You <laughs> it's know? So bad. Like these are people that I, I want to be like. Yeah. So it's like if 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 that's what it's like to have AA be your life, sign me up. Yeah. I know what life was like when drinking was was around my life, you know, when I built my life around drinking, when I built my life around drugging, uh, you know, when I, when I built my life around all those negative behaviors that I would indulge in, I know what that looks like. And I would always choose the AA way of life over that. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Like, it's so super, super critical that, that this be a, a, a big part of, of my life. Yeah. Like it has to be first. And and one thing that you were saying and I really appreciate you saying it is like the podcast this podcast that you're listening to right now you better be whoever <laughs> or everyone, watching or watching thank you um, is such a crucial part of my recovery it's it's, it's 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 such a crucial part of how I put recovery first and sometimes I can forget that yeah you know and sometimes I can forget it when I go to meetings yeah. or or when I talk to people on the phone or when I don't talk to people on the phone. You know, like I can forget like just how automatic it is. Like you were saying, like sometimes it's it's autopilot. And, and, and for me, the autopilot almost takes some of the positive energy away from it. You know, like I have to stop and be consciously aware that I am choosing to do this thing. And I think that as we cycle through, like we're alcoholics and just the wave of things up and down, like we're going to have moments where it's ebb and flow and we're going to have moments where we're really super connected to everything we're doing. And then we're going to have moments where we're not, but consistency is crucial. Like mm-hmm. I got to maintain that consistency through those moments and understand that it's all a part of how it works. Yeah, You know, and one thing that that Kit said in her story, which I really appreciated, is she's always in the steps. Mm-hmm. She's always working the steps. And it's like it, I mean, you know, and, and granted, you, you should be like, you know, practice these principles in all our affairs. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, to hear that, to be reminded, right, it is so important that I'm always sort of investigating. I'm always doing that work. I'm always looking at myself. I'm always apologizing when necessary. I'm always learning, growing, and moving forward. And I'm always putting this thing first. Yeah. Yeah, because
0: I don't, I don't want what I used to have. That's, that's why I put so much work into it. You know, My life before was miserable,
1: mm.
0: you know, regardless, regardless of, of what my mind may try to convince me of from time to time. Wasn't so bad. When, when, when I'm putting too much effort into my recovery. <clears throat> Which, which my fucking, my head will try to convince me sometimes. Like you need a break. You're doing too much. You need to, you need to put the pencil down. You need, you know, you need to, you need to take the headphones off for a little while. You Mm -hmm. know, you need to get out of the gym. You you know, you're dieting too hard. Um, You know what? I mean, insert whatever positive thing there and my head will try to convince me that it's a negative, you know, like, because, you know, I have the disease of alcoholism. it tries to separate me from all the good things that there are in this world for me and and I, sometimes I'll get convinced, you know and and another thing, like I got so much out of kid's story, and we' we'll, we'll get into that here in a little while, but um she she asked the question, you know'll will, will doing this? will work in these steps make my life better? Mm-hmm. you know and I think that's something that people need to ask themselves in early recovery, like, what do you got now? Yeah, you know. If you're in a relationship and your spouse isn't allowing you to recover, what do you have? Yeah. Right. If you want to get sober, what are you willing to do to get sober? And, you know, some people will love their spouse all the way to death. Like, like, you know, people will stay in a negative relationship and never get sober because they're afraid to get out of that relationship. Some people will stay in a negative job and never get sober because they're afraid to get out of that negative job. They're like, well, what will my life look like? Well, think about what will your life look like? Go around people that are staying fucking sober. Yeah. Get around people that have left bad relationships. Get around people that have left negative jobs. Get around people that have gotten on a, on a stricter food plan that have lost the weight. Get around people that have the thing that you're curious about and listen to their story. Yeah. You know, ask questions and and ask as many questions as you possibly can, because everybody on this side of the table is more than happy to share their experience with you. Right. You know, if you're curious about, you know, how the fuck, how the fuck do I stay sober when my kids in my house getting high? You know, reach out. Ask the question because there's people that are staying sober while their kids in their house getting high.
1: Right. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah. I I mean insert insert any fucking situation yeah. you got. Mm-hmm. You know? We're sitting here right now and, and uh right now as we speak, my mom's in critical care and in an ICU in Denver, right? And how do I stay sober through this? Right? I come to a podcast with people that I trust and I talk about it and say, you know, fuck what what am i going to do go use over that yeah you know a lot of people would
1: yeah well and we have found like we we have found that the disease will speak to us the loudest in that moment and 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 say that we're justified right here now.
0: here's your here's your, everybody right. would understand yeah exactly you can go have a pie bro like bro. like go oh. go have a pie yeah <laughs> Go, go go relax you need to take your mind off of it it's a
1: comfort it's like
0: i don't want to take my fucking mind off i want to feel it that's why i got sober you know because through all this through through the process of putting this thing first let me tell you what happened through the process of putting this thing first i was on the phone with my dad as as we were talking and we don't know what's going to happen right my mom fell she bumped her head um she's in in critical care. Obviously I said that I'm going to say it again. (laughs) Yeah. Let me repeat myself. My mom's hurt. Did I mention that my mom's hurt? Um, And so I was talking to my dad and, and as we were talking through this thing, you know, and we always go to like worst case scenarios, you know, have these imaginary evils, you know, who knows what's going to happen. One, I was having an honest conversation with my father, which a lot of people can't do. But I get to do that mm. as a direct result of keeping this thing first. Two, I don't have anything that I need to say to my mom that I haven't already said. If, she, right. if something did happen and, and we lost her today, I have no amends to make to her. There's nothing that I regret. You know, She lived long enough to see me get sober. She lived long enough to see my children. She lived long enough to see me not only get sober but have a family that's never seen me drink. She lived long enough to watch me get healthy Uh, become a business owner, have this podcast, this platform, you know, a recovery community around me. Um, You know, I'm connected with uh, all my siblings on a positive note. We're able to call each other and talk about this, you know, come up with plans and and discuss outcomes for our family based on what happens with my mom. None of us are fighting over fucking who gets what. None of us give a fuck about any of that. Every one of us are figuring out, like, if we got to get down there, You know, um, I don't have anything over me that will hinder me from being there for my family as a direct result of putting this thing first, Mm -hmm. you know, as a fucking direct result of of this being the most important thing in my life. I'm sober today while while something traumatic has happened inside my family, right? Like, Like while there's a critical thing happening, I'm sober and... I'm a pillar in my family for this, you know, like fucking dope, dude. Yeah.
1: Well, you were, I mean, we were talking about it and you, you talked about how you were sort of able to be there for your dad. Yeah. And that, and that's not something you were able to do (laughs) once upon a time.
0: Dude, once upon a time, they wouldn't even been able to find me to tell me something happened. Right.
1: Well, and what it reminds me of is our good friend, Jake, you know, when he, he had, an ex-wife who was murdered Mm -hmm. and he talked about, thank God I'm sober because otherwise I would have found a way to make it all about me. All about me. And, and that, and that's, and that's exactly true. Like in this situation that you're dealing with now, like if it were me and my mom was in the hospital and I was still using and drinking, fuck dude, poor Cameron, dude, my mom's hurt. I need you uh, to hook me up. Yeah, for free. <laughs> for free. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's... Pour me a drink. I, I can only imagine, like, just how how much worse that would make things for your family. Fuck. Or for my family or for, for anybody, yeah. if, if, if that was the behavior that we still indulged in today. And luckily, like, because you're putting this thing first. We're putting this thing first. That's not the case. Like, mm-hmm. And, and like, I don't know, like sometimes it's, 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 it's a healthy reminder when we have these moments and these, these situations, like for me anyways, when, when I'm faced with these challenges that I know would have devastated me in the past. Like early on in recovery, like I had an uncle that passed away he was a really close uncle. And, uh, and I just knew like this, this is a moment, this is a moment I can get away with it, you know? Right. And, but I knew like, if that's, that's not going to make anything better. And this is a moment where I can really just grow, yeah. you know, and be there for everybody else. And, 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 you know, and live through it in a healthy way. And so, like, sometimes the way that we're able to go through these moments is such a good reminder of the blessings that we have because, because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous or because we've done the work that we need to do on ourselves because we're sober today, yeah. right? Um, and, and being sober is one thing. And I, and I, I just want to emphasize, you know, like, re- recovery is not always sobriety, right like i can i cannot drink and drug and that's one thing yeah that's that's sober that's sober quote unquote yeah absolutely but for me to be spiritually well and emotionally sober and and working a program of recovery that's why the topic is keeping recovery first and not keeping sobriety first right because you know that's just the beginning yeah. Is, is getting sober is just the beginning. And there's a lot that we need to do early on to get and to stay sober. But as we continue through the process and we continue on our, on our journey, recovery becomes more and more of what we're doing every single day. Yeah. We are staying recovered. We are staying sober. And that's a blessing in and of itself. But. We continue to move forward and continue to work on our recovery by putting it first, and as a result, we stay sober. Well said. Yeah,
0: well said. You know, and it, it, it reminds me that that drinking was never the problem. Right. You know, that was the solution. I, I'm the problem. Recovery deals with me. You know, and and I think it would I think it would dishonor them all if we didn't bring up the fact that, you know. The, the people that were sitting in those chairs when I walked through were the people that were putting this thing first before me. Yeah, you know, the, the 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 motherfuckers that sat there and let me spill out the side of my neck everything I knew about life through every meeting that when I when I didn't know how to shut up even worse than I do now <laughs> in early sobriety telling them all the good ideas about how this thing should work. Taking me out for coffee, you know, buying buying me dinner, bumming me smokes, picking me up, taking me to meetings, you know, taking time out of their lives. Uh, that was an example of them putting this thing first, mm-hmm. you know, because they were dealing with a brand new recovering alcoholic, right? And and there was no place they would have rather been, you know. On a number of occasions, I had a, I had a few sponsors. as as I moved through this thing you know and I've moved from different towns and things like that but you know every one of them took me out for coffee bought me a cup of coffee and and the the amount that they spent dollar wise on the cup of coffee is nothing compared to the amount that they spend time wise out of their life away from somebody else that was probably more important or could have used them just as much as I could but they chose their recovery first yeah and helping the new guy is definitely something that helps us, right? When we go out and we serve other people, um, it helps us as well, but it doesn't feel like that. It's like, it feels really natural today to just be there because, you know, putting this thing first becomes second nature Mm -hmm. after, after some time. Um, there's like a switch inside of us when, the hand of uh, uh, when the hand of another alcoholic reaches out for help, we're there. It's it's a crazy spiritual thing that is just such a neat thing to be part of an experience that uh, I'm not willing to give it up today for what I used
1: to have. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Well. For yeah. damn sure. Yeah. Very well said, man. Like I I uh, I when I when I think about how things were compared to how things are now. You know, there's, there's, there's not anything I'm willing to do to keep it. And it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to me because I think now sometimes and being that I'm this far down the road and I have all the things that I've been able to gain because of, you know, a, a, a program of recovery, it's almost like the fear of losing it becomes greater. Like, before, when I was newly sober, I, I was afraid to go out and drink, but I didn't have anything that I, I'd already lost everything. Right. You know what I mean? So I was like, well, I'm just going to go back to the shit. <laughs> I'm going to go back to it. But uh-huh. now because of the, of the program of recovery, like I've been able to gain like so much. Yeah, so all the gifts. Yeah. It becomes so much more important, you know, as things go on. You know, so so does the importance of again, like just just maintaining this and, and keeping it keep it at priority number one. So, you know, as the gifts increase, so does the importance of of keeping it uh, keeping it the way it needs to be. Yeah. So, yeah, and For with sure. that, I want to segue into uh, to Kit's story. You know, we got this topic from her story. She is a great speaker.
0: Yeah, she's got. Yeah, she's. A, I don't know if she's a natural. She's been doing it for a while, but very engaging.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think you guys are really going to get a lot out of it. And um, let's just let her tell it. Yeah, for sure. Without further ado, this is Kit's War Story.
2: All right, so I am Kit. I'm an alcoholic um, and a compulsive overeater. And, um, but I think I mostly want to talk about alcoholism today. We'll see, we'll see what, uh, we'll see what comes out (laughs) because it's all kind of, you know, connected, but on the alcohol side, my sobriety date is May 16th, 2016. Uh, I have a home group. It's the Marina Center women's meeting in, Uh, West LA on Monday evening's at 5.30, which is, um, you know, temporarily being hosted on Zoom for the time being, and I have a sponsor, and my sponsor has a sponsor, and the only reason I mention that is because there have been times in my sobriety where I had a sponsor who did not have a sponsor, and that didn't really work out so well for me, so it's something I really look for in a sponsor, and it's something I think is really important. So, uh, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, I'm not the biggest fan of logs either. It's not like we all ended up in, you know, 12 step recovery or recovery, whichever type of recovery you're in, because, you know, you had a bad weekend or, you know, something, something went wrong or I don't know, you know, you got dumped or whatever. It's like all of us have stories. Uh, and, you know, and I have one too. And, it may not be the most dramatic story, but I think it is important. Uh, so, you know, I was originally born in, um, in rural Montana in the very early 80s. I have a brother and sister who are twins and they are 14 months younger than me. So, you know, just kind of Irish triplets is what they call that, a lot of kids all at once. Uh, my parents were really well-educated, like career-oriented people, so they, you know, they had kids later in life. I don't think they expected to have three, like all at once, but uh, they, you know, they were, they were driven people and they were like pursuing their careers and trying to manage, you know, a sudden like, you know, suddenly having like a big family and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, my childhood was, it was fine. I always joke and say my siblings are my first resentment because they were breathing my air. (laughs) I think, I think I really felt that way, you know, and, um, it was really normal, especially, you know, in rural areas, like back then to like put whiskey in the bottle, you know, when your kids are teething or, um, you know, we did a lot of stuff outside skiing and out at the lake in the summers when the weather was nice. And, and I, I really do think I was born with the disease of alcoholism because, as a child, like I felt very stressed out, you know, like my parents were overachievers and I'm the oldest of those three kids. So I felt that there was a lot that was expected of me, even at a very, very young age. And we would be out at like a lake or a ski resort or something. The adults would be, you know, relaxing, sipping drinks and having a good time. And I like, I wanted what they had. And I remember being like five and like walking up for sips of beer and, you know, people would give it to me. It just wasn't a big deal back then. It was a different kind of like a different time. And I think it's still like that in a lot of parts of America, but um, certainly not in California where my family moved and I ended up growing up. You know, don't you, you don't take the baby into the bar or whatever, <laughs> whatever. So uh, I know from a story my mom told me that I had to have my stomach pumped when I was two because I found a glass of fermented orange juice somewhere and like chugged the whole thing. And it just, to me, it's just more evidence of my disease. You know, alcoholism runs in my family apple trees make apples. I'm the lucky winner. It is what it is. I don't think that any of those things that I just shared contributed to my, to me bec- being or becoming an alcoholic. Uh, I'm very close with my brother and he is a year younger than me. And he's like Mr. Normie pants. Like he's so, he's just so, so normy, you know, and he grew up under the same roof that I did. Um, and you know, one part of my story that is really important to share is that my sister, so my brother's twin, um, you know, she suffers from mental illness and, uh, of, you know, pretty, pretty severe at times and mostly untreated as a child. And I shared a room with her, like a lot of my, my childhood and she just, um, I basically, I like, I dealt with a lot of like very unpredictable behavior and a lot of violence. So I had, even though I had like one part of my childhood was very loving and adventurous and there are a lot of good memories. I also had a lot of violence in my childhood, you know, cause she would just snap. And it, a lot of times that was projected towards me and I got really good at defending myself. And so the a number of physical fights and, you know, just. Things that happened were in retrospect, like completely abnormal. But to me, it was normal. That was the only thing that I knew. Um, and my family moved to California when I was in third grade, total culture shock, grew, grew up here, went to middle school and high school here. We, we, uh, settled in a suburb, like a nice suburb outside of San Francisco. And I, you know, I, I always felt like kind of uncomfortable and you know, my, I had a lot of unpredictable chaos at home, like with my sister. And so there was a big part of me and also the expectations of my parents. You know, it's like my mom has a PhD. My dad went to law school. Like they were really educate, well-educated people. And I was always expected, you know, to go to college. And, you know, lucky for me, I did well in school. I liked it. And um, I started getting into trouble and they were, my dad actually was like, you need to start playing sports cause he like thought that was the solution. And I turned, turns out I'm a good athlete also. So I was doing school and sports and feeling like so much was expected of me. And like, I just felt a lot of pressure just like I did as a child. And I wanted, you know, an escape for that. And alcohol back then in California in a nice suburb was not that easy to get. You know, just, it just wasn't. You couldn't just walk into like a, a liquor store, you know, with a fake ID, which I did many times, but not, we'd have to go into like bad neighborhoods and stuff to try to get away with something like that. So, you know, substances are certainly part of my story. Um, the underground rave scene in the nineties outside of San Francisco, a really easy place to get alco- um not alcohol, drugs of all sorts and varieties. And once I like found that, like whether it was alcohol or, you know, any of those um, other, you know, substances, it was like I had arrived. And I was able to, at a young age, maintain like a, a dual life, like a double life, like a dual lifestyle. And I know that a lot of people have that story too. And a lot of people don't, you know, it's like, I think it's a, it is a type, almost like a the type of alcoholic that I am or the type of addict that I am is one that also can um, control, you know, like control was a big part of my disease. And one of the reasons for that was because I found freedom and escape and joy in a lot of ways. Cause I could change the way that my like chemicals in my mind were working and how I felt that I was so determined to not let anyone take it away from me. And I remember like making that decision when I was in like a sophomore in high school, I was like, this is the answer. I'm going to be doing these things until I die. I need them to deal with life and to, and to live. So I have to make sure all the stuff on the outside doesn't look problematic to anybody so that they don't find me out and I have to stop doing what I'm doing. That was my strategy. And for a while it worked, you know, I was like, you know, varsity track athlete. I had a really good GPA. I did well in school. You know, I had, I had friends and stuff like that. And then on the weekends I was like going to underground raves and really bad neighborhoods with my friends, dropping acid and all kinds of shit. And it was, I can't, it's really weird now to think back, you know, cause now I'm in my, I'm in my early forties. Like I have friends with children or stepchildren who are teenagers. And it's so crazy to think that like they are that around the age that I was doing all of that because it was really risky behavior on a number of levels and, and just very sophisticated, right? Like it, it, my mind was, I was very determined I was very determined to continue to get away with what I needed. Um, And the disease was driving a lot of those decisions, like really. Uh, And for some reason, whatever reason, when I went to college, I put substances down. I was like, I'm done with this for now. And, you know, maybe maybe I'll go back to it later or whatever. And it was something my friends were kind of doing at the time. And a lot of them are not addicts. You know, it's like they experimented like normal kids and they moved on with their life. And I was like, I'm gonna do what they're doing. So I put down the substances and my drinking really took off. And at first it was fun and then it was fun with problems and then it just progressively became more and more problems. It was just all problems. And I couldn't see the the thing about alcoholism and addiction is that, you know, I was driving my my life into the ground and I could not see it. Like I could not see that alcohol and cause I wasn't doing drugs anymore was the cause of all of this. I just, my, I have a disease between my ears that tells me that anything else is the problem. It's my roommates, it's where I live, it's the city I live in, it's the college I'm going to, which I ended up transferring, you know, like it's everything else. It's not, it's, it's not the obvious thing, right? That was probably seemed maybe obvious to somebody else who knew what was going on. So long story long, you know, I ended up in jail and my dad, who was an attorney at the time, uh, he's no longer alive, but he came, he came down to take me to court and he's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, what is going on with you? And I was like, I don't know. And I, I was being completely honest. I had no idea. And he put me in therapy, um, from that incident. And I learned a lot through therapy about the family disease of alcoholism. I'm not the only one, you know, who suffers from that. Uh, and so that kind of started opening my eyes a little bit, but it still wasn't introspective. I still didn't see, you know, what, what the truth was, um, about my own disease. I could see it in other people in my family, but not in myself. And I started using again. And at this point, it's like, I've got a corporate job. I'm living in San Francisco. I'm making really good money. And I'm just still doing the same shit, you know, just in a, in a more expensive, elevated fashion, instead of being like in a, you know, a warehouse and, East Oakland or something, I'm like partying in Vegas for the weekend. It just looked more glamorous because I was making money. Uh, but the problem was still the same. And I had no idea. I just was completely clueless, you know, the throughout the entire process, what I did start to catch on, uh, about was like, I just wasn't having a lot of the same quote unquote, luck that a lot of my friends were having. So people were getting married and they were like buying homes and this and that, and having kids and stuff. And it was like, my relationships were really starting to suffer like more and more. And I was beginning to feel more and more lonely and and isolated. And I ended up moving to LA. I was relocated um, for, with a company I worked for at the time. And it didn't, it took a few years of me being there, but that's where I hit bottom. Like this disease, like it just took me to my knees and a lot of the outside stuff, I was starting to lose stuff, but a lot of the outside stuff, if you didn't, if you weren't very close to me and I kept a lot of people, you know, away from me so that they couldn't really know what was going on, looked kind of okay, right? And I am one of those people who's made amends to, you know, friends and coworkers and, you know, business partners or whatever from the past who were like, I had no idea you had a problem. And then of course I have other people like, my brother, close family members that were like, Oh my God, I thought you were going to die. So it's just, it's just that theme of like this, this double life, having, having two personalities almost or like two versions of myself. And, um, and yeah, so this, this disease really brought me to my knees and I, I didn't know it. I didn't know what the problem was. I just happened to meet a sober person on a ski trip and that he had 10 years of sobriety at the time. And he just seemed like Buddha to me, you know, like, my invisible line, I kept moving my invisible line, like the things that I would like, oh, you know, when, when, if, when I do that, that's when I know like things are getting bad and I'd cross it and I'd be like, eh, it wasn't that bad, you know, starting to like negotiate, you know, with, with that invisible line and keep moving it. And my relationships were a mess and I was lonely and I was detoxing a lot because I couldn't stop drinking and using. And, uh, all I did was follow the suggestion of a person who said, you don't really have to stop doing anything that you're doing, but go to a meeting. He suggested that I go to an AA meeting, which I was confused about because I was like, if anything, alcohol is not my problem. It's, you know, it's cocaine or like something else. I was convinced that maybe I was convinced that I just needed to learn how to manage and control my using and that I could live like a normal person and have the life everyone else had. That's what I thought. And I went into 12-step recovery. And I, you know, the tradition states the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop, fill in the blank, eating, using, drinking, whatever. You don't have to like join a cult. It's not a cult, right? It's, you just have to have a desire to stop. And I could, I could deal with that, you know, and I did have a desire to stop or at some level, or I wouldn't have been there. And I, um, you know, with a lot of just negotiation, I wasn't really sure about the whole thing. You know, I wasn't convinced by any means that I was an alcoholic or that I had a real problem. I just knew I had to, I thought I had to learn how to control it. And, um, my best thinking at the time was because I found a sponsor. Cause that's what I heard you're supposed to do. And she said, I'm not going to sponsor you until, until you get, until you stop drinking and using that's the deal. And I was like, okay, shoot. And the, my best thinking at the time is, am I going to be a better person for working these steps or not? And the answer seemed obvious based on what I could see other people in other people who had done the work. And I just decided like, I'll, I'll give it 30 days. I'll get a 30 day chip. Cause I was pissed of, that I had to keep raising my hand as a newcomer. I like, really didn't like that. And I was like, I'll give it 30 days and I'll, I'll give it a try and I'll reevaluate in 30 days. And I'm not even kidding. Like 30 days later, I was on Maui, like you know, with friends, like in my, my, I was really being given a sign that I was on the right path. And I think that's really important. If you're, if you're an early in recovery and you're not sure, and you have a, a head like mine, that's like, you don't belong here. You don't need these people. You don't need this program. You know, that's, that's your thought process. And that, because that was my thought process. I really encourage you just to look for signs that you're on the right path. And I still get those five years later. Right. I still get messages that this is the right path. And, uh, and that was what happened. You know, my life 30 days later was so much better that there was no negotiating. <laughs> I couldn't even, I couldn't even argue with it. It was like, I won't go into de- too much detail, but you know, like I was hanging out at a celebrity's house and who lived near the airport. He was a friend of a friend. And he was like, Oh, like if you have a flight to catch, you can stay in one of the guest houses. And like, dude, before I got sober, like nobody wanted me in their guest house. Nobody wanted me like around their children in their guest house and certainly not around their husband um, or whatever, you know, it was just like, I couldn't be trusted. And I, I didn't have any desire or ability to be like real and like, you know, real with people and open. And I was deeply, deeply afraid of intimacy. I've learned that from doing the work. And, you know, when I say the work, I mean the steps. So speaking of the steps, because I now work them in two programs, I'm recovered in OA. And we we use that word because it says in the uh, the, uh, forward to the first edition that these are people who are recovered from alcoholism. My OA program is very big book based. And I'm in recovery, of course, for alcoholism. And I took uh, a chip for five years on May 16th, which is a miracle. So I work two programs. And I work both of them out of the big book and I'm always working steps. I am working steps and working steps and working steps. The elevator for me is broken. Like I got sober in my mid thirties, I had nothing. My relationships were a mess. I was spending all my money on partying and you know, being just crazy. Um, I had no idea how to be like emotionally vulnerable with other people. Um, you know, I was really just, I was, I was really headed towards a bad bottom. I mean, I hit my own bottom spiritually, which is why I got sober, but I was really headed in the wrong direction. And who knows how long I could have bumped along that bottom until I was 70 till I could have got or gotten a car accident. I mean, who knows? So for me, I I'm just, I'm the type of alcoholic addict that puts the same amount of energy into her recovery as she did into her using and manipulating and drinking and eat and food for me is part of it too. But I believe you have to kill what's you or you have to stop what's killing you first. And for me, that was drugs and alcohol. And then once I, you know, had time, enough time, I could see that food was something that needed to be looked at as well, because it was, you know, something I went to as a source of comfort for that God sized hole Um, so I work, I work steps in two programs and I'm just always, always in the step work. And I think, you know, I'm doing a super thorough inventory right now, uh, with my sponsor and a a group of ladies that she's taking through the book and between the two programs, I think I've done the steps all the way through like seven times, maybe, maybe eight or nine. And I really am starting to see why people are able to stay here and for me, because my brand of sobriety is 12 step based. I mean, in like AA or OA for their entire lives, because it, instead of like, you know, the idea of like, oh, you finish it like high school and you graduate or something like that. It's almost like every single time I peel away more layers of the onion and the step works, my mind gets blown more and more. Like, and the onion almost gets bigger. You're like, when did this onion get so big? You know, and it's just like, you keep going and you know, so like that's what it was like, and what happened, and what it's like now is I'm always in the work, I'm always in the steps, and uh, I just I I do the deal, and I try to practice these principles in all my affairs. And the one thing that I have, the only thing probably that I've done right or almost perfectly is not pick up and keep this thing first. Like if there were two things that I heard when I got here, and it started to, it started to like I you know, recovery started to saturate me. I heard like, keep this thing first because your life is going to get big if you stay here and don't drink or use no matter what. And I act that way with sugar too. I don't touch sugar no matter what. It's just as bad as alcohol for me, right? It doesn't make me drunk and crash a car, but it makes me compulsive and I can't stop. And I don't like that feeling anymore, right? I'm, I'm too deep into recovery and knowing what it feels like to have any tolerance for that what used to feel normal. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, so being in the steps, the other thing too, that I think is really important in my life has gotten bigger. You know, you can see my moving boxes. I, I, I have the freedom to move places. I've done a bunch of moves in the past few years. And, uh, this time I'm moving to another state just because it sounds like fun, you know, and when I talk to my higher power about it, the feedback I get is why not? You know, live your life. And I have this amazing freedom to go really anywhere in the world and do anything as long as I put this thing first. And that's one thing that I take really seriously is, you know, the job has changed. I've gotten more responsibility. My relationships with my family are, are the best they've ever been. Uh, I watched my dad pass away sober. I made amends to him twice sober. Uh, when he left this earth, our slate was clear completely clean. There was no, there was, it was, there was nothing but peace, you know, in that experience. Um, You know, my job has changed. My career has totally taken off. I was um, given a dog last year. I have this like amazing animal that this big, great Dane, that's just like absolutely beautiful that I'm obsessed with. Um, And, and, you know, my personal relationships, like everything are just deep and worthwhile. And, just so good, right? Like just so rich, but I, no matter what happens, like how busy life gets or whatever, like I put this thing first, you know, I, I have commitments at my meetings. I suit up and I show up like we're doing this podcast tonight. Um, you know, I had a super busy calendar today. This is easily the most important thing that I've done today. So that's, that's something I'm really big on is just making sure that like, I don't, I've lost my right to think that I know what is most important and best in terms of priorities <laughs> in my life. So I just default to what was wired into my brain and, you know, I couldn't save my ass and my face at the same time and I still can't. So, you know, I just, th- so this is what I do. Um, and then, you know, as far as what life is like now, cause I've, I've touched on it kind of like a little bit throughout, a lot of things have happened, you know, in five years. And then I got abstinent from sugar and addictive foods um, two years ago. And I had one slip and I can't, you know, came right back in. So basically I've had abstinence in that program for two years. And I just like my biggest problems today are in areas that I didn't even have areas five years ago right? It's like when I look at what I'm disgruntled about or like maybe upset over, it's like, they are such quality problems today. Right. And, and they can be, I don't have to, I don't have to be impulsive and try to fix it. Right. I can just chill and I can pause and I can pray and I can use my tools and just things don't, I just don't react so much to things lately. And really what I've noticed since I've turned five is, um, and there's something very, I think, powerful about that, that five year mark. And there's a reason I think that we celebrate it so much. I've seen a lot of my friends go through it. I always have been a pretty like stoic person. You know, I don't cry in front of people. I don't like to share too, you know, too much in terms of like intimate details about my life. I don't, you know, I've always just kind of been that way I was, and and drugs and alcohol just made that worse. And Lately, I feel like I'm just the biggest softie. I feel like if my heart was an egg and God just like cracked it open and I like don't even care anymore. I'm like, I love you. And, like, you know, like I'm always like hearting people's text messages. And it's like something has really changed, you know, and that's very difficult to articulate and explain, but it's, um, it's, it's love you know, it's like I have, I have and feel love on such a regular basis and I'm not afraid to share it with other people because I think, I think that partly, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of history and trauma and, you know, all of the things that like make us each unique that go into like why that is so important to me. Right. But, um, having the courage to uh, show others and tell others and express to others, like how much I care and feel for them, because I do feel, I feel love, like through my heart now that I give to other people as, and a lot of times I don't even think it's me, you know, it's like, I'm just open. I'm like, use me, make me useful. Tell, tell me where you want me to go, what you want me to do. And I just sort of like do these things And I just never would have been that way before. So I'm a lot more vulnerable. I think that's the biggest change in like who I actually am as a person. It's not really about the outside stuff, right? Like I was unfortunately like too smart for my own good. If I had a freaking dollar for every time somebody would tell me that, you know, I was like, you are too smart for your own good. And I've come to learn like, you cannot be too stupid to follow a 12 step program but we bury a lot of smart people. And I was almost one of those people, you know, my parents are really smart. So it's just like, I got lucky that I got, I, in a way, I got a pretty good brain to use. And that brain worked against me for a lot of years, right? Like I used that to think my way out of situations so that I could feed my disease. Like that's just where I was for like many, many years, well into my mid thirties. And now that I don't do that, I have a lot of freedom to use my mind for things that my higher power directs my energy towards. And I know, um, it's time to wrap up. So I'll just finish with this cause this is my favorite thing about what it's like now. And that is I drink and use like a crazy person from about 12 to 36 years old. And now that I'm sober, and I don't have any of that drama and nonsense, I still have a ton of energy, right? i still have that like sort of, you know, energy that, that I put, and I put a lot of it into drinking and using. Now I just put it into like, whatever I want, whatever God wants. And so I'm moving. I've gotten super into bodybuilding. So like, that's a passion of mine. I'm in the gym four days a week. Um, I do outside cardio five days a week. I walk my dog. I see my friends. I go to two 12 step programs, go to my meetings and my commitments. And I work full time in like a career job. And like that to me is um, not only incredible and maybe a little insane, but it fuels me like this for this addict, alcoholic, like I, I do have a big God-sized hole and it's been filled with a lot of things that have been gifted to me a hundred percent because of sobriety. It's not me. It's not my talent. It's not my intellect. It's not any of those things, it is. I just moved out of God's way and chipped away at all the and took the trash out over and over and over again. And I hope I continue to do that for the rest of my life. I could not be happier. So thank you. All right. So as far as social media is concerned, uh, I love connecting with other people who are you know traveling on this path with me or have questions or whatever. Um, I mostly am on Instagram, so you can find me on Instagram. I am at SAS S-A-A-S, underscore, and underscore supersets. So, SAS and supersets. That's me. I hope to hear from you guys.
1: Thank you, Kit. Yeah. yeah. For the rest of your life. Yeah, I hope I do it for the rest of my life, too.
0: Yeah, taking out the trash. I love that. Like yeah. Cleaning your house, right?
1: And and getting out of God's way,
0: you know. In service, yeah. It was great delivery, man. Like I got so, and, and now you can see where we got the topic from, like, you know, keeping this thing first and look at, she, she gave perfect examples of what life looks like now because of putting this thing first. Right, right. You know,
1: and, and you think, you know, with somebody that has that much going on, how does she have time for that? Like, how is she, you know, like how, how, how does she still go to meetings? How does she still talk to people? Well, she has all that other stuff as a result of. Putting, going to meetings. yeah putting yeah. On this thing first and 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 she has effectively built her her life around these 12 step programs yeah. and i really appreciate that she's you know a member of two programs yeah she's a compulsive overeater yeah she's one of us yeah you know well and it's it's common right like it,
0: at least she's able to admit it i think there's a lot of people in the program that aren't able to admit that yet and i hope that they can get to that cuz you know uh being super heavy and overweight, I, I feel like is you know it's it's a debt to your and and any debt is spiritual debt whether it's financial debt or physical debt or emotional debt or any of that stuff it weighs on the spirit you know and and we're here to try to free the spirit and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have as have as fulfilled and and you know happy lives as possible and and I can just feel her joy radiate off yeah. of her story all the way th- you know through the computer and. You know, I got I to gotta say, like, connecting with, you know, the fact that she was able to say goodbye to her dad sober right. is super important to me right now, especially with the unknown in the air. Like, like who knows what, what tomorrow may bring with my mom, I may be saying the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. So here's another person that went through the worst yeah, exactly. case scenario and, and was able sober. to stay sober through it because of putting this thing first, you know, and she just continues to fill up her life. And I could relate with so much of her using history, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. Dude, I, I think out of anybody that we've had on the show, like I related with her the most. Um, one, because she identified as a compulsive overeater. And two is just when she was talking about, like we, we grew up in the same time period. She talked about being born in the early 80s. It's like, oh, yeah. Me too, you know, and she talked about the rave scene and she talked about drinking in college and, and just, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, I can see it in my mind, Mm -hmm. you know, she's, she's, she's telling her story, but it's one of those instances where she's telling my story, Uh you know, and I, and I really, really appreciated that with her. And, and she said, she's like super into bodybuilding and it's like, believe it or not, like you're looking at me like Me too. I was, you know, like I was like really, really super into, into bodybuilding and I was really super into, into, you know, fitness and, and, and losing the weight and experimenting with my body and, you know, and all these things. And, and, uh, and, you know, like I'm a product of compulsive overeating, like by, you know, by far, and maybe this is a result of what happens if you don't put the recovery first. Yeah. I don't know, you know, like, but I, I I really identified with her story. I I appreciate so much that you shared it. And I think that we're going to have her back.
0: Yeah, I'd love to get her on, you know, um, especially to talk about food food recovery, you know, being recovered from food. Because she said, you know, she hasn't eaten sugar in two years. And I'm like, fucking,
1: nobody can go two years without (laughs) eating sugar. I mean, really? Like, any sugar? No sugar?
0: I remember doing that same thing with people in, in, in... you, get, you got two years sober, you haven't had a drink in two fucking years. Yeah. Right. Right. But now I know that
1: that's, that's true. It's true. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Like, she put this thing first, and, and she, works with, she works with, you know, people in OA as a sponsor, and she's working the steps with people, helping them not eat sugar or whatever their food is, you know, on a consistent basis, one day at a time, through the program of OA, mm-hmm. Recovered. You know and so yeah, we're we're going to invite her on, and we're going to talk about that.
1: yeah well and and what did she say that uh, that you and I, I feel like have, or i've I've said to you a thousand million times, where it's like the the freedom that I have, like, what would I think about if I wasn't thinking about food all the time? <laughs> you know? And she was able to like talk about like th- I, you know I, I freed up so much thinking, I freed up so much obsessing, yeah. like so much time became available because I was no longer obsessing over that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I get that. I get that. Like even today I was thinking, you know like I was thinking, wait a minute, like I think I think there was like 30 seconds back there where I wasn't thinking about food. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like I have those moments like throughout yeah. the day. Where it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm I'm not actually thinking about food right now. Yeah. It's like, what do I think about when I'm not obsessing over that stuff? What could I get done? What could I possibly get done? Yeah. And she's a testament to that. Look at all the things that she's doing. A ton.
0: And and you know, I, I I owe it to her to to mention, because I thought this was great when she was in college, you know, and she was talking about, you know, it was it was it was fun, and then it was fun with problems, and then it was just problems. And that's everything in my life. Yep. Like, everything that I try to fill that God-sized hole with, other than God, yep, you know, higher power program, call it what you will. Um, uh, I'll call it what I will because I don't fucking know right now what. I don't know what I believe right now. <laughs> I'm in a weird spot as far as uh, beliefs go. But, uh, you know, any t- time I try to fill that hole with exterior with outside shit, it, it just fucking blocks me off from the sunlight of the spirit. Yeah. You know? It doesn't fill the hole, it covers the soul. Ooh. Oh man, let's put that Ooh. on a t shirt.
2: Say it again. <laughs> say it again really quick.
0: We got it on a recording, but that's that's a trademark. Trademark with on the other side of Hellfire. <laughs> <laughs> Can
1: you say it again? Uh
0: it doesn't feel it doesn't fill the hole, it covers the soul.
1: Oh man.
0: Anything I try to take from out there to fix what's going on in here doesn't fill the hole; it covers the soul.
1: It's true. It's you heard so, it here first, it's folks. so true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I can't, I can't thank you enough, uh, Kit. That was great. Yeah. One, one thing again that I really liked um, is that she said she's always working the steps, and yeah. and it's a good reminder to me. Like, there's probably work I could be doing, you know, for sure. So for sure, I'm excited to have her on and, and, uh, and stay tuned for that. You guys, um, Kit will be back. So yeah. thank you. But how about that, dude?
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask her who the celebrity was.
1: Yeah. Let's so. ask her. Let's ask her who the celebrity was. <laughs> I think it was Mike Tyson. Who yeah. do you think? <laughs> uh,
0: I think it was probably the guy that played uh, captain America. Yeah. You mean Chris Evans? Yeah. Chris Evans. Why? Why do you think Chris Evans? Why do you think Mike Tyson? Because
1: Mike Tyson's badass. Yeah, so is Chris Evans, obviously. Fair. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> All right. Well, Willie, keep us uh, keep us informed with your mom. Uh, Will do. Send uh, send send uh, her our love. Yeah. One thing I know for certain is there's
0: nothing that's gonna make taking a drink make better. So
1: absolutely, she's a big listener, and, and we love your mom here, Susan. We wish you the best of, yeah. uh, of help. So. Um, but with that, let's, uh, let's close it out, my friend. Yes, sir. So with that, remember everybody I am, and you are worth the work. We will see you on the other side. The other side of hell is a do it yourself podcast
0: for more information, recovery resources and contact info. Check out our website at the other side You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow or a five star rating.